finish off our series today called Back to Basics. And as you know, we've stripped back uh, to what are the basics, you know, of our walk with God? What's the foundation uh, of some of the big things that we talk about in Christianity? And so we've had a blast. We did our back to school party and just had a really great month. And I'm excited to kind of kind of put the icing on the cake or the cherry on top, if you will. We're going to have one of my mentors and one of my best friends in ministry, Pastor Sean, will be with us. But before I introduce him up here, I want to just share a little bit about him. Uh, he was actually my youth pastor way, way back when I was a teenager and uh, just served and loved people. And then uh, even after we all went separate ways, he's one of the, those guys that uh, he wasn't in relationship with you just because you served in the same church, he was in relationship with you because he cared about you. And that can sometimes be rare in ministry, <laughs> unfortunately. And so always there for a phone call, uh, always there to lean on. Actually, one of my harder days in ministry uh, where kind of got a punch in the gut, was ready to quit, was ready to walk away, uh, ready to be mad at God, ready to be upset. He said to me, which is such a cliche, uh, he said, hey, he's like, you know, that was rough, blah, blah, blah. He said, hey, just what you need to do, he said, don't be bitter, be better. And that's such a cliche, like, oh, don't be bitter, be better. But it was the fact that he believed that I could do that. It was that he was like, hey, you know what you need to do because you can do it. Don't be bitter about it, be better about it. And, uh, and that's what I did. I, I kind of buried it and, you know, sort of pulled up your bootstraps and went after it. And so a person who loves you like that and to take the time and to invest in you is the type of people we like to build this house with. Somebody say amen. And so he's a church planner. He also went through ARC like we did and uh, the church planning group that we walked through. And uh, his church is about one years old and uh, it's called Thrive Chapel and it's in Atlanta. And uh, he seems to always bring bad weather. He was texting me this week about, is this, what's going on? It's 50 degrees. And um, I just said, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm a man. I'm wearing shorts out here. Actually, it was like the one day I CrossFitted, he was texting me. I was like, I was just flipping tires and shorts. That was fine. <laughs> there was lightning crashing. And like, I don't, what are you talking So anyway, uh, do you need some help getting up here then? Do you want somebody to walk you up? Is you can make it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Give your best to Pastor Sean Jazik. No, man. <laughs> Well, welcome, Vertical Church. How y'all doing today? If you've got your Bibles, you've got your devices, go ahead and flip them over to, to Mark chapter 10. We'll get there in just a second. Um, I want to I kind of talk to you today about what is your dream? What, what's the vision, the hope, and the desire you've got for your life? And it's kind of fun and almost a little bit reminiscent for me today to kind of come and hang out with Pastor Josh because he was the kid in the youth group, the 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 kid that I had as a, as a child in the caboose at the youth camp where I was the cabin leader trying to keep control of my 12 or 14 guys all to find out that they snuck out in the middle of the night and duct taped some kid's mattress to the, to the trees. So this, this is the history of our relationship. But I want to talk to you today about dreams because in a way we've kind of followed behind Vertical Church. We planted almost a year later. And it was almost two years ago that Pastor Josh walked me through this space before you ever existed, before probably most of you even knew what Vertical Church had become. And he's walking me through a bunch of uh, old examination rooms, I guess, upstairs and pointing out how this room is going to get combined with that room. We're going to have kids space here. I know you can't see it right now, but it's going to be. And then he walked through another spot and it was a bunch of two by fours and 
and drywall dust and just a mess everywhere. I know you can't see it right now, but what I see is a place where elementary age kids can come and worship and do crafts and learn about the things of God. And, and, and come over here and he walked me through this space. I know you can't see it right now. What this will be, though, is a place where on Sunday morning, adults from all over the Zeeland Holland area come and they lift their hands, they sing songs of worship and praise. And this was happening two years ago. So as we get back to the basics, the idea is that you don't start your first day of school with the first day in mind, but you look into the future on graduation day of what you're going to become because of what you're going to start together. Someone say amen. So I want to I talk to you a little bit about vision, especially in the season you're about to get into today and going forward with this interest meeting idea and, and being a church planner myself, knowing how intricate it is for all kinds of new folks who are on the sidelines, who are kind of checking this place out. You've been a few times, you're kind of wondering, could this be a safe place for me and my spouse and my family where we're at currently to grow? So I want to talk to you a little bit, hopefully draw you out of sitting on the sidelines and look at how you can become active in chasing down your vision, but it takes your first step to unite with something greater than you so you can find out the greatness inside of you that God has put there. So looking at dreams and vision, I want to look at a man who didn't have vision, a man in the Bible named Blind Bartimaeus, and he didn't have his, his earthly sight. In fact, he was a blind beggar and uh, was, was hoping for the ability to, to have an interaction with Jesus because the story of this Messiah was growing, that he was this great faith healer. And maybe, just maybe, this blind, poor man could come to the feet of this miracle worker and finally get his earthly sight and have his heavenly vision come to pass. And it illustrates for us the steps and the stages that Bartimaeus went through to get this vision in his life of how we have to walk through to gain our own vision for our life. Helen Keller was a famous blind uh, uh, just artist and, and, and uh, great literary uh, person in our, in our previous generation. She was once asked, what could be worse than being blind? And her reply was, to see but have no vision. In other words, to see that these chairs you're sitting in are orange and this curtain back here is black, but to have no idea what your life could become once you walk out of here today. To be able to sense and see and locate the things around you, but have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow, next week, or into your eternity. To see and have no vision. Hebrews refers to it this way, that our faith, our vision, or our dream is the evidence of things yet to come, it's the substance for the, for the things that are unseen to this point that we can hope for and produce evidence in our life today to get to the place that we're hoping to see and to build our life into. And ultimately, this dream of yours is what makes you chatty. It's what makes you excited. It's what makes you beat the tabletop when you get excited because it's not happening or because it's starting to take place in your life. You get excited about this particular thing inside of your life. So let's talk about this a little bit. And what, what could become the battery for you that will get you up every morning, despite your circumstances and obstacles and the failings that you'll have, what will get you up time and time again to chase this thing down? And looking at Blind Bartimaeus is our example today. In Mark chapter 10, verse 46, we'll start reading here, and it says, And now Jesus and his disciples came to a place called Jericho. And as he went out to Jericho with his disciples, a great multitude... And a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. Now, what's interesting about this verse is they're going to a place called Jericho. Now, Jericho, in this day and age of this uh, writing here, was one of the more established and continuously occupied cities in this time. 
In other words, there was a great population and lots of industry and a lot of homes and subdivisions kind of already in this area. And because Jesus was coming, all the hysteria and the building uh, story behind who he is and what he was becoming, other people were coming to this area. So for example, imagine GR, which is probably the largest populated city in our immediate area. Imagine all of Grand Haven and Holland and Zeeland and Muskegon all going to GR because there's a big parade or a big show or something's coming to town. We all went to that place. It's already busy. We're making it busier. So this is where Bartimaeus is going. But he's got this idea and this thought that my vision can come to pass if I can just get to this place where this Messiah is coming. Scholars say that at this time, Bartimaeus wasn't even a believer yet. But he was starting to pick up on the theory and the idea that this could be true in his life. And for us, this represents the I thought at stage. In other words, maybe somewhere in your life you have this thought, this dream, it begins in your head, you begin to kind of toss around the idea, I wonder what if, what if I could become that kind of businessman, what if I could become that kind of mother, what if I could become that kind of Christian, what if I could grow in my leadership and my faith in my prayer life and actually read my Bible what if you have this thought, you begin to have curiosity, and it, it's kind of self-contained. You're not confident enough to share it with anybody yet, but you start to think and wonder if this revelation can come to pass. The key here, though, and, and Doug, put it back up for me a second here. It says that Bartimaeus was sitting, he sat by the road begging. He was alongside the road. It really speaks to this marginal mindset and this marginal place of life. In other words, you, you've positioned yourself for your miracle. You've positioned yourself for your dream, but you haven't done nothing yet. In other words, you come to church on Sunday morning. You put on the bless me face and bless you face and how you doing, brother? Bless coming, bless going. Well, it's blessed to have you here. I'm blessed in the morning, blessed in the evening. God bless you. (laughs) Blessed all the time. You're here. You're alongside other miracles happening, but you haven't taken the step yet to get in the road. You're in that marginal place, sitting by the road, and I love that word there, begging. In other words, you're in the ditch of indecision, and you really haven't realized your lane of your dream yet. You haven't realized what it takes to get on the road yet, a little bit nervous, a little bit scared, and that's okay. We all, I'm still there in some ways. I'm sure Pastor Josh could speak of new lanes that he hasn't gotten into yet, but lanes that have taken us to where we are, and this is where our dreams really begin to, to create their land of where they could go. Bartimaeus began to take this opportunity, though, to pursue Jesus. And he got into the second stage I want to tell you about. And that's the second stage is the I caught it stage. And when you catch a hold of the idea and the thought of this dream, it moves from your head into your heart. Now you start talking about it a little bit. You start testing it on your close friends. On those that you've got confidence and faith in, you begin to look at and say, hey, what do you think about this? I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm going to do it yet, but, but what if? What if I lost 20 pounds by January? Don't laugh at me yet. Just wait. Just wait. What if I was able to save $5,000 in our state? Just don't laugh at me yet. I know my terrible spending habits, all that kind of... What if, though? You start to work out these dreams with your friends. You begin to talk about it. And the, the reality of the I caught it stage, it's, it's, it begins to create this vision inside of you, and good vision has a bad valve. It begins to leak on those around you. You ever have that car that leaks oil all over the place? It's got a great vision for your cleanliness to come up after it. 
begin to mop up and clean up the, the residue it leaves behind. And your vision should create a bad valve in it and create a mess around others to have to consider and walk around and, and look at in some way. As the verse goes on here in Mark chapter 47 and 48, it says that when Bartimaeus had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth coming, again, he's on this parade and this victory tour with all of his disciples and his followers. At this point, Bartimaeus began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And then many warned him to be quiet, but cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I love this part of scripture here because in Atlanta, when it rains, it's like y'all having about 14 feet of snow. We can't travel anywhere. We're really kind of weather deficit there. We love our sunshine. It was 90 degrees when I left. It was beautiful. And I come here and I'm reminded. No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. But it's funny for me because what happens when it rains in Georgia, there's inevitably an accident because traffic is nuts. I mean, traffic is just crazy. So what we do, even though there's an accident like way off in the median on the side of the road, we all slow down and we gawk. And then you get past the accident and you think, we slowed down for miles because of that? Not even in the way. But that's the picture of what's happening here. All these gawkers, all these people are along the sideline of the victory prayed for Jesus, walking through town, people everywhere, and blind Bartimaeus just hoping for the chance to get Jesus' attention. And all those folks in the sideline are saying, hey, quiet down. Shh. You're disturbing our view of the hysteria of who this Messiah supposedly is supposed to become. Stop wrecking our view. You're getting in the way. Quiet down, old man. You poor beggar, shush. But Bartimaeus cries out all the more, Scripture says. No, 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 that's not enough. Stop, stop, stop trying to hold me back. And then he says these words, son of David. See, what's important of that is there's an Old Testament prophecy that out of the family tree, the lineage of the family of David, that the coming Messiah would be birthed. So Bartimaeus, not really sure his belief yet, not really sure if Jesus is who he says he is, is saying, I've been taught in school that this Messiah would come out of the seed of David, would come out of the family of David. So whether it's true or not, I'm going to go ahead and call it what it is. Son of David, don't, don't shush me down. Son of David, twice. Have mercy on me. Calling out the prophecy of the Messiah coming. Realize that our vision, our dream, our faith and hope without action is nothing more than a daydream. You've got to take a step. It has to move from your head to your heart. Get caught up in it a little bit. Take some risks. Take some chances. Begin to wonder what God could do through you if you'll just present yourself to him. If you'll just say, man, I don't know that I know everything yet. I don't know if I know all that's going to come down, but son of David, have mercy on me. I think I want to put myself at your feet. And this is where most Christians just, they, they tap out. I love UFC. I love watching ultimate fighting. It's probably because I'm not like strong enough myself to go do it, so I just watch others that do. But this is where most people say, I I'm done. And what we do is, as Christians, we get into a wheelbarrow, and we say to our pastor or our small group leader or our greeter leader, we say, I'll go as far as you'll push me, but no further. Don't expect me to get out and work. Don't expect me to do the heavy lifting. I'll sit in the wheelbarrow. I'll push or I'll be pushed as far as you'll take me. And I caught at stage, if, if the dream gets locked in your heart here, it doesn't go any further because you can't work it out 
any farther past your head and your heart because the third phase where things get serious, the third phase and stage is called the I, I bought it stage. And it moves from your head to your heart to where now it's, it's in your hiney. It's eating at your rear. You can't sit still till you get a chance to go and do it. it. It begins to kick you in the rear even when you're beat down and broke, busted, and disgusted about the dream. You're hoping that one day it can come to pass so you do all the things you can do to see it come. And it's just eating at you. And everything changes here because now there's a cost to count. Now, it, it's, it's more than just your friends or your family laughing at you and saying, I, I told you you get all religious on us. Look at you all spraying this Jesus pixie dust over all of us and saying in the name of. Now you're going out and wanting to do a missions trip and a, a, a marathon to raise money for some well. Where? We got clean water. What are you worried about? Now, all of a sudden, you're putting in the work to see the dream come to pass. It's not just in your head and on your heart, but it's eating at your behind. It's not enough to sit and to just raise your hands and take notes and drop your kids off and get a fresh cup of coffee, but now you're looking for ways that you can be a part of a team that wins. Scripture goes on here in the story of Bartimaeus in verse 49. It says, so Jesus stood still, I love this part, commanded Bartimaeus to be called. So Jesus hears Bartimaeus calling to him, but he doesn't reference Bartimaeus. He says, hey, all you who are shushing my man, bring him to me. All you who are holding him back, I tell you to bring him to me. So the crowd called the blind man, hey, be of good cheer. He's calling you. Imagine the, 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 the bipolar nature of this crowd for a moment. Shh, quiet, old man. Be quiet. You're disturbing our view. We're gawking at the train wreck that's driving by here. What a joke. This guy's going to get hung in just a few days. This is going to be incredible. And you think he's the son of David? Oh, oh, oh no, nah, he's calling you. Hey, hey, come here, come here, come here, come here. Hey, go see him, go see him, go see him. See, people will rain on your parade until you get there. Then they'll look at you and say, I knew you could do it. Man, I, you've been in my prayer the whole time. Grandma always said you were the favored child. People will doubt you until you bring it to pass. Oh, and I, I, love, I love the idea that they had to stop obstructing and they had to start enabling. And there will come times when you're pursuing your dreams, when you actually buy in that those who held you back and had stiff arms to your progress will become enabling hands. And they'll become the people that help you get your thing across the finish line. Don't give up on folks that have given up on you. Don't give up on that boy that's in your household that you think is just too far and too gone to ever be saved. Because I'm telling you, in your dream, sometimes those who resist you will be there to help carry the dream across the finish line. <clears throat> You know, for, for Tara and I, it was July 4th, 2008. It was an awful, awful Independence Day holiday. And I'm, I'm like the, the big vision guy, the big picture guy, and I kind of set the, the road. And then Tara loves to manage. She loves to cross the T's and dot the I's. So I set our personal budget. I don't want to pay the bills. I don't want to track things. I, I am kind of detailed and administrative at nature, but it fatigues me. So I'll let her do all that stuff. Well, Tara doesn't always take into, uh, take into, um, into consideration what could happen like in a month or in a year from now. So why save when you can just spend? So our plans and the way we were raised kind of had very diverting courses, and it kind of collided on July 4th, 2008. And she brought to me our current financial landscape, which was in devastation because my paycheck that week was not going to pay our, and cover our bills. And she goes, so I've managed this as long as I could, but we've outspent 
our income. Happy Independence Day, but here, I, I don't know what to do with it now. And uh, the, as the story unfolded, we began to dig into it. And again, she's not like a, a long-term thinker, so interest rates and terms of payoff of debt just didn't quite cross her mind. So as I started calculating everything, we were $60,000 in debt when it came to credit cards and car loans and just all this debt. So I'm like, how in the world did we get here? We've been married for like less than 10 years. Like this is a lifetime of, what do we do? Well, just, you know, gas and Target and Target. And then there's that one store, Target. And this new store came to town called Target. We went there. It was great. So 60000 was more than I made an annual salary. And I start doing all the debt payoff calculators. It's going to take 42 years to pay our debt off. And I thought, we have just sentenced our children to a lifetime of paying off what we couldn't maintain inside of ourselves. What, what have we done? I was embarrassed. I mean, I, I was working at a church as a pastor, thinking to myself, people's hard-earned tithes have been given to me, and look how I've squandered what they've given to us. Just poor management, poor, poor insight, poor personal you know, family values. So we just said, all right, we're going we're gonna to bear down. We're going to make this happen. So I started putting out all of our envelopes that she was not utilizing for me in our little budget thing and looking at all the plans I had set early on in our marriage that we just kind of got away from. And literally, as I'm looking at the tithe envelope, I picked it up and through, through my mind, just for, for a moment, I got saved at 21, so I've still got more time outside of Christ than I've got in Christ. But just for a moment, my mind went to, this is the one bill that no one's going to call asking for. Now, the mortgage, someone's going to call for that. The car payment, someone's going to call for that. The credit card payment, the, the utility bill, someone's going to call for that. No one's going to call on this. And just for a moment, the thought flashed my mind. Now, my wife, who's a seventh-generation Christian, as soon as I picked that envelope up, she said the Lord spoke to her and said, we just can't stop tithing. So she said it. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, well, that's really nice for you to say now. All this expense, though, <laughs> that you've kind of privately done, what are we going to do? So we just decided right there in this awful holiday of independence, we said, all right, we're not going to give up on tithing. And in 20 months, somehow, we paid off all of our debt, we got debt free, and we haven't gone back. I didn't win the publisher clearinghouse. Aunt Jemima didn't die and give me a big inheritance. Mom and dad didn't help us out. We sold a car. We Craigslisted stuff in our homes. We ate spaghetti with no meat forever, <laughs> but we kept honoring God with the tithe. Fast forward about four years, and I'm sitting down with a gentleman who I am you know, asking to contribute to the launch of our church, and we launched just a year ago this month. And it's a good friend of mine, he's successful in business, and I'm thinking, man, I, I think he's good for at least 1000 I think he could really come, come through with $1,000. And we have dinner, and um, he says, so what do you want, money? I was like, well, yeah, that's why we're here. You know, I'm casting vision. I'm doing my best and showing them this shiny thing. And what about this over here? And how about this over here? And I'm doing the song and dance. And wouldn't you want to be a part? <laughs> and he goes, all right, well, I, ha I haven't talked to my wife yet, but I'm pretty sure, you know, she'd be okay with this. We're going to go ahead and write you a check for $10,000. <laughs> no idea that you've got that kind of discretionary fund just on, you know, on hand that, Maybe if, if uh, I double check my wife, but it should be fine. I'll send it tomorrow. But I left thinking to myself, you know, if I had not been diligent 
not only with correcting some bad habits, but seeing God through the faithfulness, would I be here having this conversation today? That apparently here's a guy who for a longer term has been more diligent, more faithful, and now aside of his tithe to his home church, he wants to give an offering in the value of $10,000 to a little old guy who wants to start a church. Way outside, he can't even attend our church. But the reality is, is way back when we decided we're going to be independent from here forward of the ways of this world, and we're going to sow ourselves into God. We're going to buy in. It's no longer a thought. It's no longer a heartbeat. But there's something eating at our rear to change the course and to see a dream and a vision come to pass. Someone say amen. Yeah, that is good, Pastor Sean. Thank you. It's nice to be in this Reformed Church today. God bless you too. Always remember this, the tassel's worth the hassle in whatever kind of obstacles and hurdles you're having to clear and whatever you're facing. It's not too big. It's not too big. There's not too much holding you back. And this stage will truly separate the contenders from the pretenders of seeing their dreams come to pass. The biggest dreamers in this room right here and those who are yet to even come into this place because they don't know about vertical church yet, the biggest dreamers will have to buy in at this stage before they ever see their visions come to pass. And trouble along the way is not an indication that your dream is too far-fetched or it's too far outside of your ability. It just shows that you're on the right course because if it wasn't supposed to come to pass in a heavenly landscape and the enemy wouldn't try to put something in front of you to keep you off the course. It's the thing that's going to build you to make you stronger to actually withstand the blessing God wants to give you once you get to the place. It's like getting to the gym and doing the CrossFit thing because he can't grow you to a place that you can't withstand the pressure of that new gift and that new dream coming. Someone say amen. Number four today is the I saw it stage. After you get past the I thought it, caught it, and bought it, you have to really be able to put the dream in your hands with the I saw it stage. Here you become a maniac on a mission and you are striving in every way possible to see this thing come to pass. And no one's going to talk you out of your dream at this point. And here's what I love about Bartimaeus. In Mark chapter 10, verse 50, the story goes on and says that Bartimaeus, throwing aside his garment, rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered Bartimaeus and said to him, what do you want me to do for you? But that's got to be the most envious position to be as a Christian in the face of Jesus, asking you, what do you want? Want a new car? Want the shiny vacation in Hawaii? What would you like? So Bartimaeus responds and says, Rabani, that I might receive my sight. Now the thing about, uh, I think you've got to realize here about this day and age is Bartimaeus was, was a blind beggar, didn't have anything, and part of kind of the customary wardrobe would have been this thing called a prayer shawl. It's kind of that cloak type thing you see in those old remakes of, of Jesus time videos, movies. And um, what, what he was probably doing was he probably took his prayer shawl and would have thrown it alongside the road. And this would become his styrofoam paper cup that he would ask for donations. So as people were coming by, what they would do was they would drop their coins on the shawl. And that's how he would collect his take. Now, again, he's blind, so you have to be very careful to, to wrap this back up and pull it back in, and that would be his, his substance to buy food or, and travel and do whatever he was doing. But as you look at the verse, it says, throwing aside his garment, as Jesus called to him, Bartimaeus said, I don't care about my safety net. I don't care about what I've got for my substance today. I want to see the dream that I'm just hoping comes to pass. 
In other words, I'm not going to hone in here on the safe zone, but I want to stand up and walk into what the faith zone could be if I just seek it out. If I just begin to look and put inside of my hands a thing that I want more than anything, it's my, it's my sight, it's my dream of envisioning what I can have around me. And let's go into this place with Jesus that, that maybe I could see something that I don't have yet. And as he references Jesus, there's that word there, Rabani. And that one caught me off guard when I was first studying the scripture because I thought, I don't think I've ever seen that before. Rabani, Rabani. So I looked it up and began to look at the history of it, and the, the actual term itself is the most reverent word you can use for a rabbi. That there's no more holy word for teacher, preacher, messiah, rabbi that you could possibly have. In fact, the only other place in Scripture that particular word is used is at the empty tomb by Mary when oh, the, the dream is real. The vision is real, like what he's been saying, the rock's been rolled away, the grave is empty, my goodness, Rabbani, the most reverent Messiah term I could possibly use, that's where the only other place it's used. So here is Bartimaeus, not only son of David, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim the prophesied story in the family tree that you're supposed to come out of, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refer to you as the most holy, reverent term I possibly could. In other words, as you're seeking your dream, you'll only get from someone who's asking you what you want by the level of authority that you'll put them in your life. And realize this, you have a mechanic for your car, you have a doctor for your body, you have an accountant or a software for your taxes, you have friends for your friendships, but you only have one pastor, and you can only put him in a place of authority in your life and call him in such a way that allows the Lord to speak through that voice that's in your life. That Pastor Josh can't say I'm your pastor, kiss my feet, worship the ground I walk on. But God is using him to speak to people in the Zealand area, and through that voice, as you position him, he can't position himself in your life that way, but as you position him and say, you know, if, if I will yield my life to the vision that you're you're sitting before me as, as I'll position you as the leader and the tour guide in this course that we're taking. If I will position myself there, I'll trust that God's going to speak through you. It won't be a perfect trail, but it's going to be better than I could ever do on my own. But if I'll follow that trail because of the mantle I'll place on him, I'll begin to position myself for my dream coming to pass because of how I'm putting the, the, the mentors and the authorities in my life. And, and, you know, what Bartimaeus had to do was he had to put aside what was safe and secure so he could chase his dream. And there'll, become, there'll come times when, when Vertical Church's leadership and, and Pastor Josh as a whole will encourage you to take steps of faith, whether it's through your time. Man, I want you to come to this meeting or through your talents. I want you to start serving or through your treasure by sowing into where we're going, where you're going to have to set aside what's safe and what's secure for the possibility of seeking out a greater dream and vision. And as you grow in your gift of, of giving your time outside of a 10.30 Sunday morning service, as you grow in, in sowing your talents outside of just showing up because you're pretty, but actually giving of your talents to see the, the ministry progress, as you give of your finances and tithing and financially contributing to what's happening around you, you'll begin to see not only the dream of vertical church come to pass, but you'll see your dream because you'll see what happens when you push aside what's safe and secure and move into the faith zone of what's in front of you. So there's the I thought it stage, an idea that begins in your head. There's the I caught it stage that moves into your heart and begin to talk to others. There's the I bought it stage where it starts to eat at your rear and make you think about a little bit of action. 
There's the I saw it stage where you start to hold the dream in your hands. And fifth, number, uh, number five here is the I got it stage. That's where you begin to house the dream. You begin to hold this idea inside of this place that we call church and life and calling. And you're able to live now beyond the disease of life called regret. It's a thing that will take you to the grave eventually if you never take that final step of chasing down what God's got for you. Verse 42, it says, Then Jesus said to Bartimaeus, Go your way. Look at these words here. Your faith has made you well. Now, Bartimaeus wasn't a believer, but he's saying stuff like, I don't know if you're the Son of God, but Son of God, have mercy on me. I don't know if you're the Messiah or not, but Rabbani. And Jesus says, well done. You're not experienced. You're not the stereotypical Christian Christ follower but you got up, you walked out, you spoke up, your faith has made you well. See, we think, we think it's the 40-year, you know, serviced Christian that can achieve all the things. But no, if this is your first week, you've got the same opportunity the rest of us have. And Jesus is saying, your faith, go your way. But we don't see the victory in our life until we've gone through the process of a dream. There's a chain reaction. We can't have a dream and fast track to step five. We have to go through the steps and stages. It's where you build the endurance and the strength to keep walking. And if you stumbled, if you've struggled, if you faltered, get up and keep going. How much time do I got? Keep going. So three hours, is that what you said? Okay, good deal. <laughs> I'll share this quick story. Uh, it, was, it was three years ago, I think now, I was having this incredible pain in my rear end. Uh, I love to work out, and uh, I, I don't know if I just did something, but there was this like shooting like nerve pain going down from my left butt cheek, if I can say that, gluteus maximus, down my hamstring, into my calf. It hurt when I walked. It hurt when I sat. It hurt when I stood up, sat down, laid in bed. Everything hurt. I tried to lift through it. That didn't work. I tried to take time off. That didn't work. I tried stretching. I had an MRI, an X-ray. I had a CT scan. I had a steroid injection. I had some other needle filled with, I don't even know what that was, but it hurt. It hurt a lot. Nothing worked. So finally, this guy who was in our church in St. Louis, where I was working as an executive pastor at the time, said, hey, check out this ART doctor. He's like a chiropractor for your joints. It's active release therapy. He always helps me in trouble spots that I can't get breakthroughs in. So I go to Dr. Matthew, and I'm kind of explaining, man, my, my butt, man, it's just like this and that. I can't do this. and eh. So he's looking at me and twisting me there and stretching me there. He goes, you know what? I don't think it's a butt problem, actually. I think you got a knee problem. So he's got me on the bed, and he's having me flex my legs out front, and he's pushing on this quad muscle and comparing it to that quad muscle. And he said, there's this chain reaction where because for some reason the nerve fibers aren't firing to this particular head of your quad correctly, your kneecap's floating over, which is tightening up your IT band, which is stressing your glute, which sits on your sciatic nerve, and it's setting the, the impulses down the back of your leg all the way to your calf. That's where you're getting the pain. You don't have to worry about your rear end. You've got to fix the, the front of your knee. This is what you do. Stop doing leg squats and stop doing extensions. Just get on the, on the leg extension machine and get your legs all the way up and just do that last little 10% motion, just that last little bit on the leg extension machine. If you'll do that, you'll strengthen that particular part of the head of your muscle, bring your kneecap back, let your IT band stretch out, release the tension on your glute, which will alleviate all the electrical impulses going down your sciatic nerve. After struggling with it for a year, three weeks in the gym, it was all better. So here's what God spoke to me is reading that, thinking about visions and dreams. Now, sometimes it's the little things on the front end. 
It's a little change, it's the little adjustments, the, the, the little shifts in your schedule and identifying your gifts and, and allocating parts of your giving. It's the little change, the little 10% motions and shifts that we do on the front end that produce miracles on the back end. My church laughed really, really hard there. Maybe we're not as friendly yet. Might take a couple more visits, but... It's the little things in the front end that give all kinds of relief, all kinds of breakthrough, all kinds. Getting back to the basics, when y'all start school, it's the end of the year as we make the little shifts now to get back to how we study, how we prepare, that gets us ready for graduation day, that gets us ready for, for increasing ourselves and when we move that way. So lastly, and I know I've got to hurry here, lastly, number six, the I thought at stage. If the band wants to come, I'll wrap this up. The I thought it, or I'm sorry, the I taught it stage is when you have the holy moment now of sharing your experience with somebody else. It was never meant to be contained within you, but it's meant to be shared with others. The Lord wants to give you the desires of your heart. He just wants to know that He can trust you with it to glorify Him for others' sake. But you're here today because of somebody else. Thank God they didn't become a dam and hold back the free flow, but they were a waterfall and got you wet with what God is inviting you to be entertained with in his spirit and his revelation. So if you'll then become that free flow to somebody else, God will say, let's go. I'm going to open up my floodgates. I'm going to let you get overwhelmed with where we're going. So you know the Gospels. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Many of the writers captured the same stories, but from different vantage points, different strengths. So I'm going to take this story out of Mark's context into Luke's, and I love the way Luke ends it. It says, now after Bartimaeus received his sight, that immediately he followed Jesus, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, when they got a sight, when they got a vision of all blind Bartimaeus went through, they gave praise to the Lord. Who will you lead to Christ just by walking through your hell and getting to the other side of heaven here on earth. As you help make happen for God what he can't do through anybody else because he called you to do it, you'll inspire countless others. Some, you and I won't even meet the side of heaven. But immediately he received his sight, and others saw. Others got their sight. Others got their ability to imagine a place. So blind, begging, living in a marginal place along the side of the road, Bartimaeus' story by, uh, ends by leading others to Christ. And that's ultimately where I think Pastor Josh is leading you with this interest meeting. It's inviting you to get off the seats, to get activated, not for the sake of the church, because by the way, this church was just fine before you became a volunteer or before you became a contributor. The church as a whole has existed for 2,000 years. So by the way, the church doesn't need you, but Christ wants to work through you for your sake. There's more on your other side. And the church sometimes is just this vehicle that we try to get you to achieve your, your, your dream and your vision by saying, come on, let's make this happen, and we're going to knock some of the edges off you by helping the church grow to a place where it can reach someone else like you. But as you and I decrease, he can increase. As you and I set our focus and our ideas on the path ahead, he begins to blaze a trail that will be like anything else you could ever do on your own. Would you stand with me this morning and bow your heads right where you're at? In just a moment, we're going to pray a prayer. We're not going to embarrass anyone today. We're not going to call anyone forward. But just in, in churches all across America, there's a simple prayer that we pray just to invite people to 
recognize and realize where they are with Christ. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. At the end of the prayer, if this is a prayer that you're saying to say to yourself, listen, I'm not following God, I'm not close to him, I can sense in my heart I'm without him, or perhaps during this prayer you'll recognize it's been a while and you've been removed from Christ, you've been around church in some way, but this is the day you're going to draw a line in the sand and say from this moment forward, I am going to follow Jesus. So no matter where you're at today, say this prayer aloud so your neighbor can hear you. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, today I give you my heart. I ask that you forgive me of all I've done wrong. Guide me with your mercy and grace and lead me into the vision of a life with you, the abundant life, the life that helps lead others to the saving knowledge of you. Now, with every head still bowed, every eye still closed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time and you're thinking to yourself, with, without this moment, I, I may pass from this life into the next and not live with you in eternity, or perhaps you're praying this prayer today and you're thinking, I need to come back and make this life mean it with Jesus. If that's you today on the count of three, I'm gonna ask that you raise your hand up towards heaven. Be strong today because God's looking on when no one else is and looking for sons and daughters to raise their hand in support in honor of responding to him. So today, raise your hand towards heaven on the count of one, two, three. Raise your hand. Anyone this morning, I see that hand. Thank you in that hand. Anyone else today? God bless you. Well, Father, we thank you so much for this moment to come into your presence, to pray the prayer of salvation, rededication, and commit our lives to you, God, for countless others here wondering what their dreams and their visions might be, or God maybe helping to realign or reset their focus on the finish line of, of walking through these stages to see how we could house and create the holy moment for others. God, may we be a part of, of vertical church like never before, that we could rise up to be a, 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 a city on a hill, God, a, a light post to the Zealand area and beyond that would draw others to the saving grace and knowledge of who you are. So God, give us more than just the interest for our meeting tonight, but give us the desire to invite you to work through us and inspire countless others to follow you from the life that we lived with you. We're not perfect. We're not experienced. But God, we're fervent in our love for you, and we desire more. In Jesus' name, we all said, come on, say amen.